going to go ahead and and get started. And as you may have seen, it just popped up on your screen. We are recording um, this meeting and it will be posted on the SNEB webinar. Uh, so just so that you know that. So welcome to everyone um, to the Higher Education uh, Division of SNEB All Member Meeting. We're excited for this presentation uh, today. And I'll just talk to you through a little bit about what we're going to do today. So um, we're first going to have a presentation from a group of faculty from Brigham Young University. Uh, they'll talk about the history of AI, uh, some research they're doing with uh, nutrition and dietetic educators and what they're seeing in that research. Uh, one of the faculty is going to talk about what she's actually doing in her class. And then we're going to open it up for discussion and questions because I think a lot of you out there probably have questions or ideas that would be great to share with others. And then when we finish that discussion portion, Rebecca is going to make some announcements for the division. So we will go ahead and get started with our presentation. And just a reminder, uh, just to mute yourself so that we don't get feedback on that. And I think Virginia, you can be in there muting people if you need to. And then when we get to the discussion portion, you can open your mics back up. So just a little introduction of our presenters today. So I'm Pauline Williams. I'm a Associate Professor of Dietetic Internship Director at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. We have Sarah Bellini. She's also an Associate Professor and she's the director of the DPD program at our university at BYU. We have Dr. Nathan Stokes. He's also an associate professor in the dietetics program, and Emily Patton, also an associate professor um, in the dietetics program. So you get the whole crew from Brigham Young University today. So what do you think? You know, the, can machines think? Well, let's talk a little bit about the history of AI. When I first heard of ChatGTP, I had no idea what it was. And as I started looking at AI, we've actually had quite a long history of artificial intelligence and machines thinking. So we can go way back to like the 1930s. And in the 1930s, this was really when science fiction was big. And um, it was people dreamed of a time that machines could think and do things that humans could be. But it was really a dream. And they it was in the comics and the movies and things like that. Um, in 1949, we get a key thing that happens. Before this date, computers could not store commands. So they could execute a command, but they couldn't store any information. So they couldn't remember what they did. And in 1949 is when we get the first computer that can actually store a command. Um, in the 1950s, a computer cost $200,000 a month. You know, that's crazy in today's world. But this is where between the 1950s and the 1970s, artificial intelligence really starts to take off. So computers start to be able to store more information. They become faster. They become less expensive. They become more accessible. And in this time period, there is actually a robotic mouse made. And this mouse is taught to navigate a maze and it actually remembers the course. And um, that's kind of the first thing of memory and artificial intelligence and, and a machine doing human work. This is also a time period where the US government starts to working on machines that can actually transcribe and translate spoken language, which I think is something that we um, don't even think about today. You know, I'll push on my phone and Siri can, I can ask her questions. She can understand me. She can give me information. I can get Google Translate and I can put information in different languages in. 
In the 1980s to the 2000s, this is when we start to get algorithms for deep learning techniques. So this is really meaning that computers can now start to learn using experiences. And at this time, really, computers would ask an expert about a situation, and then they would learn that information from the expert, and then they could share it with non-experts because they could remember it. By the 1990s to the early 2000s, we now uh, get this computer that can play chess. And the computer actually beats the reigning chess champion. And that was where you're like, hey, computers can think. They can do things that humans can do. And that's really when we start to get the artificial intelligence pushes at this point. We start to get speech recognition developed into software and put it into actual windows. Then we get in the 2020s. Now all sorts of things are happening. Um, AI starts to um, get capabilities that are comparable to humans doing the tasks. So from 2000 to 2009, we get handwriting recognition. You can see a picture of that on the screen. You can write with a pen on your computer. Uh, the computer can recognize the handwriting. It can even translate it into typeset. We get image recognition where it can recognize faces and map things to faces. We start even to get reading comprehension. Uh, things are developed more deeply into word processing systems where it can check for grammar. It can check, it's been checking spelling for a while, but all of these things that humans used to have to do, now machines are doing them. And machines are actually doing them in many cases faster and better than human beings can do them. This was just an interesting thing I came across when I was working on this. This is a timeline of AI-generated pictures. And the first AI-generated picture started about 2014. And you can see in that top left picture, none of these are real people. These are all AI-generated. That first one is very pixelated. Um, and then we start to get kind of a grainy one and you start to get better and better pictures. And if you look at those, you think they're real, they're real people. In 2022, this list on down in the bottom right hand corner, I'm just going to pop it up. This was the prompt put into an artificial intelligence um, online thing like ChatGTP, but for images. And the prompt was make a Pomeranian sitting on the king's throne wearing a crown with two tiger soldiers standing next to the throne. And within seconds, this is the image that has popped up. So this is not an actual picture. Artificial intelligence created this picture. So lots of history. That was a really quick, you know, five minute overview of the history. So what are we looking at in the future? Um, healthcare. There is a lot of capability out there. Can artificial intelligence diagnose diseases based on symptoms? or based on symptoms and data from like a fitness band or something like that, you know, that's something for the future. Finance, do we have computers and artificial intelligence now start to manage equity funds and invest your money instead of a human doing that? Um, military, cybersecurity, uh, a lot of this is probably, it's already happening, right? But automating weapon systems, developing soldiers that are actual robots and not human beings. Um, with transportation, we've seen self-driving cars. Um, we all have route and driving directions right now that we can use, but making those better in forming drivers of component failures on their cars. Uh, you know, 
my parents have a car that every month we get an email and it tells you what the tire pressure is and what's going on with the engine. And so all sorts of things like that are currently happening and will only get better. With businesses, artificial intelligence can automate a lot of tasks like emails, calendars, managing files, can even do things like creating a job announcement that is something that is done over and over again and posting that job announcement. It can send interview times to candidates. Um, it can assess buyer's habits. I saw a news report about Walmart and what they're doing with artificial intelligence to analyze buyer's habits when they come into the store and knowing the inventory that they need and even monitoring inventory and ordering when it needs to be done. When we look at all of the capabilities that we have and the potential for the future, one thing that is always discussed across the board is that humans need to be part of the picture. They need to be in the loop. So even if we're having a machine doing it, so whatever the nature of the artificial intelligence is, we need to have humans in the loop. And now we're getting, you know, that to what we're here for. This is the higher education division. Well, we have a lot of people in higher ed. We have a lot of other nutrition educators on the call today as well. Um, what is the future of education? And that's what we're going to delve into. Um, there's some exciting things. For example, AI can generate human-like responses that could help students that have learning disabilities or disabilities with communication, and it might make their learning much easier. It can individualize feedback. Uh, AI can anticipate how students learn, and it can tailor the learning to them. I know uh, one of the textbooks we use, uh, I don't use this feature, but there's a smart textbook, and it has quizzing uh, capabilities in it. And it uses AI to see how the student is answering the questions. And then if they are not answering a certain category correctly, it will feed them more questions in that category or give them hints and helps or uh, take them to certain areas of the book. So we have smart textbooks where students can learn from. AI can generate feedback. I know for me, grading takes a great deal of time and to have something that can provide quality and quantity feedback would be great. And with all of this, we will get efficiency, just like spelling and grammar. AI can make our writing more clear. It can set up calendars. Um, it can help us set up meeting times with students. It can grade simple tasks. Um, so like I said, there's a lot of capabilities, but we always want to keep humans in the loop. Um, and now I'm going to turn over to Dr. Patton and Dr. Stokes. Um, they have been doing research with our BYU team on nutrition and dietetics educators and their perspectives of artificial intelligence like chat GPT and other things. So Dr. Patton and Stokes. All right. Thanks, Pauline. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start off uh, describing, like Pauline said, the, some of the research that we've just started to do here at BYU. Like Pauline mentioned, um, I think over the last year, as we here at BYU heard about ChatGPT and heard our students talking about it, we began to wonder what role does this play in education and how are we going to handle this and what are people doing? And so um, we thought we'd do a little study to sort of see what others are doing and kind of gather some information. So um, just quickly about the methodology for the study, um, we decided to develop a survey um, using Qualtrics, and we focused, just to be brief, we focused our questions on three, sort of three main areas. Um, first, we wanted to gather information about the personal opinions and perspectives um, of program directors in dietetics and how they're using AI. So personally, 
what's their relationship with AI? How are they using it? Are they familiar with it? Are they not familiar with it? Are they excited about it? Are they not excited about it sort of personally in their own lives? We then asked some, a series of questions regarding how they're managing student use or if they're managing it, do they have a policy about it at their university or in their program? Do they think students are using it? How are students using it? Is it good, is it bad in terms of their student use and their perspectives on that aspect of AI? And then very typical questions that we also asked as well. Uh, I will mention we did have both um, close-ended questions as well as open-ended questions. Today, we're just gonna talk mostly about the close-ended questions. We're just beginning the process to start to dig through some of the more qualitative open-ended questions um, in that data. So we don't really have any results from that yet, but so we're gonna focus mostly on the, on the quantitative close-ended questions today. Um, so once we developed the survey, we did validate it through a expert review. We had a couple expert reviewers look at it um, and provide some feedback and we adjusted, made minor adjustments based on that. And then we sent it out to dietetics program directors in all programs. I think our total sample, <clears throat> excuse me, that it went out to was just over 600 um, dietetics program directors that we sent the initial email to and invited them to, to take the survey. So just some brief um, some of the results, some brief demographic type things. Um, we did have just over 105 who completed the survey um, with usable data. So that's roughly a 20% response rate um, from the initial, from what we sent out originally. In terms of the program type we sent it to, you can see there, um, it was mostly dietetic or DPD programs and dietetic internships um, with a few coordinated programs and then um, less even um, graduate programs and then a couple of dietetic, dietetic technician programs. Um, we asked the directors how long they'd been serving in that position. Um, the majority of them had been in one between one and 10 years. Um, and then, you know, some in the other ranges there, as you can see. Okay, so we asked in the survey what their familiarity was personally within use of AI or chatbot technology. So how are they using it personally? Um, interestingly enough, you can see that the majority were only somewhat familiar um, 26, and this is not, these are, I should mention, this is the, uh, these numbers represent the number of participants, not the not percentages. So 76 participants were somewhat familiar, 26, not at all familiar, and only five out of 126 were very familiar. So not a lot of familiarity um, or strong familiarity with, with chatbot technology. Um, <clears throat> we then also asked them about their use. How are they using it? Um, you can see the orange represent their use of directors. Well, not done, but um, can be a done point. Um, in their own, you know, in their own personal use. Um, interestingly enough, um, I have never used it. So most of the respondents, the majority, indicate they have never used um, any form of AI chatbot technology, um, and then even more so, had never used it as a director than they had in their personal life, um, and only two use it had used it regularly as a director and six um, had used it regularly personally. And so not, not a lot of use amongst um, program, dietetics program directors. All right, so then we asked them about policies. Okay, so we asked them, did they have policies? Did they not have policies? And the plurality of respondents um, didn't know if the university had a policy, not super surprising, it's pretty new. I know our university here at Brigham Young University, they just barely came out a few weeks ago with an official policy. So I think that wasn't super surprising. 
Um, we ask them about the dietetics program and whether or not they have developed a policy. And again, not super surprising, 80% had, had not developed the policy. Um, and then when we ask them if we ask the directors if they thought that they should have a, or if they should develop one or have one for their program, it was kind of initially it was split. Um, 48% said, yes, we need to have one. Um, 47% were like, well, I don't, maybe, maybe we need to have one. And in only only five percent um, said no. Great, thank you, Nathan. So then we also asked uh, the program directors what they thought about student use. So we have some really interesting open-ended data that just well, we don't have it analyzed completely yet. But a lot of the feedback is that they don't think their students use it, which I think is going to be quite telling and I don't think is quite true. So <laughs> I think a lot of us are naive to the uses, um, but we asked, oh, go back, sorry. We did ask um, to what extent they thought as program directors that students should be use, should be allowed to use something like ChatGPT. And you can see how actually no one selected always, but, and some people say never, but I think most program directors are recognizing there probably is a place. So rarely and sometimes you can go ahead. And then we asked, do any of their the dietetics courses within their programs actually require the use of it? Because now that this is emerging technology, we're curious if anyone's really leveraging it. And so most are saying no, um, some don't know. And one said yes, so. And go ahead. And then we asked the program directors if they were personally planning to make changes or if they had made changes either to their assignments, exams, or course policies because of the availability of this technology. So not just for their whole program, but them, them they themselves. And 30% said no, 7% already made changes, and 63% saw, yeah, we're going to have to do that. We're planning to make changes. And then finally, the last thing that we looked at were what kind of concerns and what level of excitement educators or directors in this case had. So this first at the top, we asked them, like, what's your level of concern about? Is there a misalignment between the values of educators and students with its use? And that was the least pro um, concerning to participants, but you can see the academic honesty and development of critical thinking are the greatest concerns. And that came out again in the open-ended data. And then we asked how, like what level of excitement they felt about this technology. And you can see that three were very <laughs> excited. And then most are neutral with a little bit with slightly um, and in some excitement, but 40 of the respondents are just not excited at all. I think I mean, in context, I think program directors are drowning with all sorts of things. And so they're less excited about the idea of having to learn and understand a whole new technology. So I, I anticipate some of it is related to that, but that's just speculation. All right. As I learned more about AI and its capabilities, I knew that I needed to address it. And to do this, I looked at my assignments and I started thinking I need to create some boundaries. And the first thing I worked on is a policy. And this is just a policy that I have that's a general policy that I have put in the syllabus of my class that I'm teaching. And 
I went from, I don't want to ban it completely to, I want them to be able to use it, but I do need to give them some guidelines. I personally decided to address this in individual assignments and what would be allowed and what would not be allowed on those assignments. And so uh, moving on to that, I will just share some examples of when I thought that AI would be appropriate to use. As mentioned earlier, we're probably all pretty comfortable with spell check, grammar check. Those are things that we like. Well, AI has great capabilities to do even more. If you want something to be written more concisely, you can ask ChatGPT to write it more concisely and it gives you results pretty quick and they're great. If you want something to be written in active voice, you can ask it to write in active voice. One thing that I have really recognized through the process of experimenting with ChatGPT is that it is really dependent on what you feed it and you do need to use critical thinking with the prompts that you give it. It will only return something that is as good as its prompts. So improving readability and language is something that's really valuable and actually a great time saver. I'm not available to give feedback like that for every student that I would like to be able to give, but AI chat um, can do that. So it's a great tool for that. How many of you have been stumped with something? You just don't know where to start. Well, AI can really be used to brainstorm. I have an assignment in my medical nutrition therapy class for students to write a newsletter on sugar alcohols and use in diabetes. And they're brand new to this. They aren't as familiar with it. And so I took some time out in class and I had them enter some things into ChatGPT and see what they came up with. And we had just a short discussion about what might be good, what might not be good, which direction to go, but it was just a starting point. So they didn't necessarily use that in their writing and the assignment they turned in, but it was a launch for them to be able to get some ideas. So that's something that I found is very helpful for students. Now, when they use AI, I require them to include a declaration of AI use statement. I adopted this from the publishers and peer-reviewed journals and really asked the students to declare which tools they were using. I'll say, I don't know every tool that is out there that they could possibly use. I'm continually learning. So that's helpful for me to know. The other thing is, I wanted to know how they used it. I, again, I don't know how they use it. And this is a good opportunity for me to learn about what they're doing with it. I want them to still recognize the importance of critical thinking and recognize that they need to identify when they did use it. Um, just again, back to that, I did have that statement come up just on a publication that I submitted yesterday. Um, so it is definitely something that we are working with in the profession and learning how and when to appropriately use AI. So when not to use AI. I have an assignment in my medical nutrition therapy class that the students write their own quiz questions based on the reading assignment. 
And ChatGPT actually could write really some quiz questions. And I debated about, well, do I let them use ChatGPT to do this or do I not? And I decided for this year to not allow ChatGPT or use of AI in writing these quiz questions because I wanted them to think through the process of writing the question and evaluating the potential answers that they would have. Now in the future, I may change that. Maybe I'll have them critique what the answers are that ChatGPT gives, but for this semester, I decided that that would be something where AI would not be allowed to use for that. So how do we engage students in critical thinking? We want them to develop these skills to be able to make decisions and not have to necessarily consult something, but be able to have information uh, that they are able to make good clinical judgment. So some of the things that I have done in class, um, I've utilized AI to look at results of PES statements. So the nutrition care process, I taught, well, let me step back a little bit. I taught them about the nutrition care process and I taught them how to write PES statements. So the problem, etiology, signs and symptoms. This has very specific vocabulary and a very specific structure that they need to follow. After I taught them, we went ahead and entered in to ChatGPT and asked ChatGPT to write us a PES statement. And then allowed the students to evaluate that and say what was good about it, what could be improved about it, what would be different. I found that that was very effective for dietetic students specifically because they get very anxious if you're going to critique any of their own work or if they're critiquing any of their peers' work. ChatGPT, there's not a person. So you're not critiquing a person, you're just critiquing the work. So that was something that I found very effective. Another assignment that I have is for the students to write a diabetic meal plan. I spent some time this summer just taking some of my prompts for my assignments and putting them in ChatGPT and seeing what it would return. And I learned that ChatGPT does a decent job of giving you a background of a diabetic meal plan pretty quickly. And we're actually going to share an example of this. So. Um, Pauline is going to help me out. She has ChatGPT pulled up and we're just gonna see how quickly ChatGPT can create a diabetic meal plan with three to four choices per meal. All right, so I've got it typed in. Is everybody ready? Hey, let's go. Let's see how fast, see if any of you can do it this fast. it gave us some different options we can see here. Uh, now, we could look at this breakfast, uh, scrambled eggs, spinach, whole grain toast, one small apple. I don't really know which foods have carbohydrates in them and which foods don't. I do have to use some critical thinking skills. I could probably come up with what they're referring to for serving sizes, but I don't know. 
So let's actually ask ChatGPT, can you tell me the serving sizes of these foods? See what it does. Is that what you wanted to say, Sarah? Yeah, that's great. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll see what it, if it gives us any more information. I'll just say it's very interesting. Uh, I have done this a few times and Pauline has done this and it's very interesting. ChatGPT at this point in time hasn't been too creative in creating uh, different options. They come up with the same basic meal plan every time um, so far. Now that's just two different people trying it, um, but that is interesting, something that I've noticed. But you can see it does now give me serving sizes I might ask ChatGPT, well, how many grams of carbohydrates are in these foods? And you can see um, that it is returning some answers for the most part. What I can see, um, some are accurate, some are not. Steamed vegetables, uh, those, I, it would depend. Are they non-starchy vegetables or are they starchy vegetables? Where is it getting the grams of carbohydrate there? And that actually was a question. So I just saw this um pop up in the chat box, how does it know where to get the grams of carbohydrate? We can actually be more specific and say, use the American Diabetes Exchange List to give me the amount of carbohydrates in these servings. And ChatGPT kind of has its own personality. Um, it has things that will tell you what to do sometimes, or sometimes it will tell you that it can't do that, or I'm sorry. Now, Sarah, can I, can I add while it's, yeah. while it's yes. doing its thing there, uh, back yeah. on that question about where does chat GPT get information? My understanding is chat GPT goes out to the internet to get its information but it's only coded to pick up information up to 2020, right? Does anybody else know that? I, I think it hasn't been updated yet. It, it may be, and I just don't know it. Yeah, that's right. That's I heard from machine learning professor at BYU who, who talked about that, what you just said. Great. Thanks for Kel. Yeah. And um, that is, really good to know. It's only as good as where we direct it and where it's going to get that information. Over time, though, this is going to continue to improve. And you can see when we just told this, it actually adds the fat and the protein. We didn't, I didn't, we didn't direct that specifically, but it did put it in there. It did start distinguishing between um, non-starchy and starchy. 
So it gave us serving sizes of that. Um, so it gives information uh, pretty quickly. Again, critical thinking though is still key and it's important for students to be able to understand the basics. They need a basic background to be able to interpret that information and be able to identify, is that accurate or is it not accurate? Um, so some of those are things that I'm working on meeting the students with using their critical thinking skills, making sure that they have a background that is sufficient that they can use those critical thinking skills, but also use AI technology to help them. Are, are we back on the slides now on your end, Sarah? Okay. Yeah, this is, and this is the last, this is actually, that was when I did it the first time. Um, and it told me that stream, steamed broccoli was a carb choice. And then I asked ChatGPT why it said steamed broccoli was a carb choice. And then it said, oh, whoops, I'm sorry. You're right. It's not. So it's kind of fun, but you still do need to use critical thinking skills as you're utilizing it. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. So now it's time for discussion. I've seen some things come across the chat. We we probably have enough people um, that you could probably open your microphone if you raise your hand so that we keep some semblance of, of um, I don't, just so that people don't talk over the top of each other on the chat. So I'm going to start, let's do this one on the chat. Um, in the chat box, just type, what excites you about AI? What are you excited about using, doing? And so we'll type that in the chat. And then, um, Kristen, I can't see your hands up, so I'll get it to you in just a second. Great. I'm seeing it's efficient. It can help with learning. It can reduce cognitive load, make practice problems quickly. A uh, new tool. Um, Sarah's saying she's not that excited um, about it quite yet. Efficiency um, with that uh, ability to get different ideas, improve, generate ideas. I will say as I'm reading these, when we were working on this webinar and meeting, I actually used ChatGTP to help me come up with the title and the description and then just tweaked it. So um, Kristen, you had your hand up. Kristen Cooper. Oh, thanks. I'm sorry I didn't type it in. I should have typed it in for no, you. No, fine. Thanks. Um, you know, as a professor, I, I have a master coordinated master's program, uh, and I'm sure I can lower my hand by now. Um, uh, I, um, you know, you know, we're between you know battling AI, right, and being able to detect it, and you know, this is crap because you turned this in, and we knew that this was AI. And on the other hand, you know, I teach professional issues in nutrition, right? Among my, you know, nutrition education, of course. And I'm thinking to my, I'm thinking of saying to my students, hey, uh, do an exercise uh, using AI and, you know, maybe do some kind of public service announcement or do something using AI so that you can use it for good and you can show me the value of it, right? So I, I feel like academics right now, we're really caught between, you know, make sure nobody uses this and, you know, and, and the other side is, you know, it's here to stay, uh, you know, so have the students interact with it. So this was very refreshing to hear um, 
know, a view, but at the same time, I'm, I'm just terrified about it, but I'm, I'm sure yeah. everyone is terrified by the iPhone and the iPod and everything else too. So I mean, well, and that brings us up to our next question. Let's get this one in the chat. What concerns you about AI? Yeah. You know, what, what concerns are out there? And while you're typing um, your concerns in, because I know it takes people a minute to get their thoughts in and type, uh, I did a seminar this summer with some of our English professors, and this seminar was on uh, one of the sections was ChatGPT and how can you put this into writing assignments. And he had written some things on his own and then put it in the detectors for AI and then had AI write some things. And those detectors are not very good. Like some of the things he'd written, it said that was AI, some of the things AI had written, it, it wasn't. And so he said, basically, those are not good right now with that. So I'm seeing on these comments coming in, just we're worried about students thinking and the critical thinking that was discussed by Sarah of being truthful when they use it or even reporting it. Um, it's going to take time if we change our assignments, maintaining integrity, uh, this critical thinking is really coming up a lot, just relying on it and not thinking. Um, and then, you know, are the assignments going into chat DPT and who owns the assignments now? Uh, students just skipping over learning um, and not not getting the basics. I think there are concerns with AI and I'm not sure that we all have the answers for how to come across those concerns or utilize that. Any ideas on on addressing your concerns or the concerns of others. And again, you can drop it in the chat or you can raise your hand. I can share while you all are thinking. In one of my classes, I did a similar thing to Sarah where I just have them make a statement on any assignment they use. Tell me how they use chat, GPT, or AI, and what they used it for. And then when I was telling them about this, I, you know, somebody said, what are you going to do with that information? And I, I was honest. I said, I really don't know at this point what I'm going to do with that. I said, but if somebody says that you used AI for 80, 90% of your assignment, I'm probably going to ask you to come into my office and we'll have a discussion and talk about your learning and why was that and, you know, what did you um, do with it? So... All right. Okay. Next question then. How are you using AI? And this can either be you personally or in your classes. Like, oh, Rebecca, you know, we need to focus on learning and authentic tasks that aren't just uh, something that a computer can generate. Yeah. So how are you using AI? That's our next question. But, oh, yes. Templates for letters of recommendation. I haven't used it yet, but I'm enjoying the ideas. I've used it for uh, creating social media posts. It can do that in about 10 seconds. Maybe let me ask this. This is just a yes and no question. Just type if you... Um, Yes, if you've ever used AI, like a chat GPT, and no, if you haven't. I'd like to see how many have actually used it. Okay, um, so Raquel, lots of limitations. 50% of students are not familiar with it, demonstrated it in class, and they were surprised what it could do. Now they all know about it, right? Because you showed them how to use it. <laughs> 
pros and cons for public poly planning vacations, letters of rec, crafting emails. Oh yeah. Okay. Lecture topics. Okay. I'm seeing, uh, okay. Couple three no's. Well, maybe like a 70, 30 split. I I'm not adding it up very well. Um, Oh, Simone, you haven't used it. You had a paper submitted that was not accepted. It wasn't acceptable to use AI at all in the paper. Is that what you're saying, Simone? Actually, it was unacceptable because the student had not read through it. And they oh. used the wrong terms for registered dietitian, the wrong terms for that kind of stuff. So it was very obvious. And um there were three faculty members reading it on a committee and one refused to read it after seeing and said, this is AI and we can't check it because the tools aren't good. But it was, I think the students need to recognize that they do need to use the critical thinking skills and they need to read it and proof it. I yes. Mean, it, that's the part. But um, so we had her rewrite it. Um, and actually this was her second round. I think she didn't want to edit the first paper. So she did an IA for the edit went, and she's has gone back to the original paper, which was really good. So I'm not understanding <laughs> why they did that. I think they thought it was faster and, and y'all may have a comment faster to start a new paper with AI than to edit her original paper. Yeah. Uh, one of my thoughts on that, you know, I, I've used AI. I've taken a paragraph and dropped it in and said, can you help me make this more concise and flow better? And that's probably different than writing a whole paper. Others might have other thoughts. Elizabeth saying she doesn't allow her students currently to use it. She has a statement in her syllabus about that, but she does use ChatGPT to input prompts for assignments and see what it produces. And I think I think that is a great idea. We should probably all be dropping our assignment props in and see what comes up just to see what would happen if a student did it. Um, yeah, lots of pros and lots of pros and cons. Okay, next question. What policies do you have? I've heard some of these in the chat or does your university have regarding AI? And maybe let's just start with a yes or no. Do you or your university have a policy? Type yes. And if your university yourself doesn't have one, type no. Okay, seeing quite a few yeses. I think this is a place where everybody's struggling, right? What do you even put in the policy? <laughs> um, maybe I maybe we should have ChatGPT write us a policy on the use of ChatGPT. I'm sure somebody has done that. So it sounds like um, sounds like maybe universities haven't come out, but um, you all are doing some things on your own, and I think this will morph over time um, with that. Okay, let's do. Another question, what do you expect from students when it comes to artificial intelligence? Um, and maybe I could clarify, like, what do you expect students to do with it? What Do you think this will increase cheating? Do you think this will make students more efficient? Like, how do you, how do you think this is, how students are going to use it? How do you think students are going to use it? Might be a better way to phrase that.
Well, you're all getting some thoughts down. I can share at the beginning of the semester, I really thought students would use it more than they have done in my class where I've required this statement. They've really kind of shied away from it. And maybe it's because they know they have to put a statement down and maybe they're using it and not putting a statement. Who knows? Um, I can see um, some students are actually scared, scared to use it um, with that. Um, some might want to produce the work and turn it in, and some will just use it to generate ideas. The undergrads have been really cautious in using it. Um, they've used it much less because we're talking about it. Um, students have already been uh, passive, and this isn't going to help. Um, I thought they'd use it more than they did. I have some have used it, but one who said the topic was no, so the AI didn't help. Yeah, because it's only picking up from 2020. Expect them to use it as a tool and to protect their space for thinking. Um, if boundaries are communicated, it will work. Yeah, I think it's, I, I'm hearing from these, it's what we set as boundaries as educators, how we discuss it and how we probably frame it um, for the students. How do you think AI is going to impact nutrition in higher education? You know, how are our, our lives going to change? And, you know, we can be broad. I know we have some people out there who maybe not in higher ed, but they're doing nutrition education out for the public. Um, Less people might come to us. Yeah, that could be true. If you can have ChatGPT make your diabetes meal plan or something, you might not utilize nutrition professionals. We're waiting on evidence. <laughs> Collaborate on a study. <laughs> Sandra, I'm sure people out there. Uh, yeah, new professionals not being able to identify errors. That's That's an interesting thought. Because uh, a lot of us, we can look at that, like the example we did today, we can look at the information it was uh, pushing out and saying, that's not three to four diabetes exchanges. It, it wasn't that way when it came out. Excited that we can generalize ideas we might not come up on our own because it's pulling from thousands of sources. I'm talking about at Fincy that just happened, there was a dietitian saying that this might help with burnout because it can do some of the work for you. When you all were talking about having it write letters of reference, I thought, yeah, that's a burnout time period for me when all those letters of reference come through and can I help with that increase efficiency and work, uh, so many things. Um, oh, Rebecca, you've got your hand up. I just had a question and it kind of related to one of the questions that you asked and Really, I'm curious because this is something that I actually experienced this week. Um, but for those of you that have policies in your course, how do you catch students that are using AI? So we have Turnitin that has like the AI checker, but it'll tell me 0%, although I know the answer is from ChatGPT. So I'll take it and like paste it in ChatGPT and it gives me the same exact response. Obviously, with slight deviations, like students are smart, they're going to change. Oh, they said 60-year-olds, I'm going to put 40-year-olds. Um, so like I can tell that it was an AI generated response, but my actual tool to tell me that does not flag. Um, so I was just curious how you're kind of coming up with whether students are using it or not. Oh, anybody out there? I've, I mean, I've taken the approach of just you're on your honor with the students to let me know when you're using it because I know and Raquel, you had just posted this when you went to a machine learning presentation, like we talked about that those programs designed to detect chat 
AI use are not good um, with that. Michael, no idea. <laughs> uh, I would agree with it not being good because like I said, it told me 0%. I'm like, well, this looks really, really similar. You know, I think one thing that people have talked about in the chat and I've heard people say, this is going to be a lot of work on our end is we might have to change some assignments. Um, where they're not maybe written things that a computer can generate, but they're more doable things. What that looks like, I'm not sure. Is it presentations? Um, I'm, I'm not sure what that looks like. So a lot of people are just saying documenting what they're using and like what research journals are doing, right? We're, we're having authors be on their, on their honor as well. With that. I, this is a topic, exams not in person, no longer online. Michael, mine too. Yes, even with the proctorial examity and there were so many tech issues, I've moved them all to person um, this semester. There's so much on this topic. And I think uh, those of us in the education field, we just have to keep learning ourselves and participating and talking to each other and finding out what are you doing? What has worked for you um, in these early stages and sharing with each other what is working. And I think... Uh, that will be useful um, as we move forward. One resource I found in putting together some information for this is the US Office of Education, um, Educational Technology actually has a website all about AI and it's got reports and blogs and recommendations and videos and it's all education. It's not just higher education. So, you know, K through 12 education. But that's just, uh, you could just Google U.S. Office of Educational Technology AI and it'll come up. But there's the website, tech.ed.gov slash AI. Um, and that was just a really fun place to look at for information. Um, Susan, you said you've been doing more reflection-based assignments. Um, I think that's a great idea. Uh, Becca's got, Temple has some great resources and she's uh, dropped that into the chat that uh, people can use. Kristen, you've got your hand raised. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm terrible yeah. at trying to type this stuff in. No, I was just no. going to I think, you know, to emphasize the students, at least with my students, you know, I'm aware of AI and I know they're using it, you know, but I want to have hope for the future. And what I emphasize to students is there will never be um, you know, a substitute for human connection, right? For a smile, for a touch, right? For, um, you know, someone, you know, comforting a patient and really, you know, kind of knowing, uh, you know, what to do in a dire situation where there isn't really an answer. You really have to make a clinical judgment. Well, maybe there's that, but I mean, the, there's no substitute for that you know, kind of melding of worlds and especially in terms of cultural competence, right? We don't have, you know, there's no guidepost for that, right? And so I think that's one thing that I'm trying to emphasize with students is that, you know, it, it, look, you're here to learn how to, you know, to deal with all kinds of people, you know, uh, and you can look up anything you want, but it's not really, that kind of thing is not on uh, AI. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, that human connection. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think that's a good thing to end on, that we need that human connection. Uh, machines can do a lot for us and they have done a lot for us over the years. And we use, we probably all use, we use machines every day, right? We're using a great thing right now with Zoom. We've got people all across the country connecting and being able to talk to each other and technology. It's here to stay and we just need to uh, look at ways of using it. So Rebecca is going to finish us off talking about upcoming webinars and some volunteer opportunities.
Yes, thank you, Pauline. And I also want to just give a, a big thanks to our speakers today. Um, we, you know, this was incredibly educational for me personally, but I think for our higher education membership as well as opening this up to all of um, SNEB's members as well. So um, big thank you to those that kind of took the time to speak to us today. Um, I do just want to mention that this topic is going to continue for higher education. This was one of the priorities for our division this year was to kind of expand this discussion around AI and higher education. Um, and the Digitech division is interested in that as well. Um, so we just today got approval for a joint webinar with the Digitech division. Um, so you can mark your calendars for November 14th. Um, at 12 p.m. Eastern time, um, we will be doing a webinar um, in partnership with Digitech on innovations in nutrition education, how to leverage AI technology in teaching and research. Um, so we will have two speakers that are joining us for that webinar in November. Um, I also wanted to mention that uh, we do still have a lot of open volunteer opportunities within the higher education division. Um, so we have two subcommittee positions still open. So our DEI subcommittee in higher education is looking for a chair, um, as well as our scholarship of teaching and learning subcommittee is looking for a chair. Um, we also have three positions um, serving as liaisons to the larger society. Um, so we're looking for a liaison for the advisory committee on public policy, um, as well as a liaison from the student division, um, and a liaison for the larger society DEI committee as well. Um, so if you are interested in serving in a volunteer position within the higher education division, um, you're welcome to contact me or Pauline or Virginia, um, and we would love to get you into one of those roles. Um, so again, thank you to our speakers. Um, thank you for uh, to Pauline, our chair-elect, for organizing this meeting today. Um, and thank you to you all for taking the time out and coming and uh, you know spending an hour with us. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, and hopefully we'll see you on November 14th. Have a great afternoon. Thank you.